Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly, and if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior. So Exodus 19 and starting at verse 1. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, 
The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that's in the water or under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, and that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is in your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder, and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. We remember once again that though the grass withers and though the flower fades, that the word of our God remains forever. Let's ask his help as we consider his word this morning together. Father, we come to you, Lord, the one who speaks to your people. And we realize that, Lord, we are often uh, quick to presume upon your mercy and kindness and grace, Lord. But we're reminded in these accounts, Lord, that you are holy and that no one can flippantly come before you, can, Lord, come into your presence without first being consecrated before you, Lord, being uh, justified before you. And we praise you that this has been done for us in Christ, that in him we can boldly come to the throne of grace, not upon our own merit, but upon his righteousness, his bloodshed. And as we consider the work of your covenant with Moses and the people of Israel and the implications of that for us today and how this also worked to prepare the way of Christ. Uh, We pray you give us understanding. Lord, keep us from uh, misapplication. Um, Lord, I pray that I would just be able to speak clearly and in a way that is profitable for your people, that Christ may be praised and, Lord, um, that his glory and goodness may be seen more clearly even through these old covenants that were given so long ago. We pray for your help now, in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated.
I admit that uh, this week as I was trying to prepare, I felt like maybe I was a little overambitious in trying to summarize a covenant in a, in a sermon. But uh, I uh, am grateful for, for your patience and just pray that though we can only look at this very briefly, that it is helpful and profitable to you, uh, just considering God's work throughout the ages. And uh, I know this past summer, my family and I had a chance to go to uh, Fort Edmonton. And some of you have maybe been there. It's kind of a historical, um, I guess, a historical park in Edmonton where you can go through time, as it were, and see various buildings, various stages of history. And you start off in Fort Edmonton, which is made of logs and they're hand cut and it's got the stone fireplaces and what we would consider to be very primitive. And as you work through the park, you see different eras of uh, at least Western civilization. And uh, as the buildings you know, change and they become more modern in our thinking, um, we, we see how time has progressed as, uh, as a nation in, in our own infrastructure and history. And I think sometimes we can think of the Bible that way, uh, and, and wrongfully so, I would say. In fact, the, one of the main differences between the, the dispensational view, dispensational just meaning uh, a span of time, and that of the covenantal view, is the dispensational view would see uh, each of these covenants as kind of like a building in the past that was set up by God, but then was later uh, Abandoned, as it were, and something else was set up and, and built. Uh, and, and this is kind of the way that, that the dispensational would, generally speaking, view these covenants and God's work in history. Separate work of God for a unique people of God at a separate time and, and not a lot of direct unity between them. Um, but really the, the more covenantal view and, and the position that I would certainly take is Instead of seeing God setting up multiple buildings and then abandoning them and moving on to something different, is actually God laying a foundation in Genesis. And through the covenants, building upon that foundation and continuing to build up until Christ, the chief cornerstone, is revealed and this building is brought into completion and into glory. And we we see that imagery even in, in Revelation, the new city coming down out of heaven and the 12 apostles' names on the foundations of the, the wall and the 12 tribes of Israel on the gates of the city. This picture of God doing a unified work throughout history and the way that he develops it and, and, and progresses it through history is the covenants primarily. And we looked already at the covenant in the garden with Adam, which is sometimes called the covenant of works. That if he would obey the command not to eat of the tree, he would enjoy long life. He would, he would have eternal life. He would enjoy communion with God and the blessings of this garden. And, and through Adam, the image and glory of God would spread through his offspring, filling the earth as water the sea. And of course, that came to a sudden end when they disobeyed. They broke the covenant. Man was instead cast into darkness, into rebellion against God instead of the glory and goodness of God advancing through man, now we see this twisted and distorted, rebellious uh, wickedness that actually spreads. And we didn't look uh, too much at the covenant with Noah, but both the covenant with Adam and Noah relate directly to creation. And we've talked a little bit about that, how these covenants govern creation. And through Noah, God graciously provides stability 
to the world, promising not to judge it again, destroy it with water. But there will be springtime and harvest, and he recommissions Noah to be fruitful, to multiply. And so it's really with the, the call of Abraham that we saw last week that God begins to narrow down the one through whom this serpent crusher will come. We remember God told Adam and Eve, even while he cursed the serpent, from the woman will come one who will crush the head of the serpent. This offspring, this holy seed that will come, reverse the curse, crush the serpent, and restore this original purpose of God that man reflect his glory and fill the earth with his goodness. And so in in Abraham, we see God now designating a people, establishing a new nation, as it were, God taking this root out and setting it aside for himself, planting it and beginning to cultivate it, that from this tree will come the promised seed and the offspring. And so last week we saw the three basic parts of the covenant with Abraham, uh, which are helpful to, to just keep in mind because they build from Genesis, but they also are further developed in the covenant with Moses and the people of Israel. And those three components that we looked at were the promise of a seed or offspring, um, both the, in regards to the people of Israel, but as Paul points out in Galatians 3, specifically a seed through whom the nations will be blessed. We saw also the promise of the land that God gave to Abraham, this land of Canaan that he would give to his offspring and establish him there. And we also saw the promise of blessing. Abraham will be blessed. Those who bless him will be blessed. Those who curse him will be cursed. And through him will come blessing for all the nations. So those three parts establish really the the covenant with Abraham. And we saw how God uh, ratified that covenant in blood, which was an important um, validation of the covenant. The animals that were cut in two and God himself passes through the animals. This covenant is established in blood. In fact, sometimes we even use the phrase today that we're going to cut a deal with someone. Maybe you're going to purchase a, you know, a, a vehicle or some land and you cut a deal. We use that sort of language. Really, that's covenantal language. The idea of cutting a covenant was, was the sort of imagery and language that, that, that would have come to mind for them. And we see this picked up by God, that there is the cutting, there is the blood of the covenant that is established with Abraham. And finally, As God expands that covenant, he gives to him circumcision as a sign and a commandment that he must be circumcised and circumcise the male children to enjoy the blessings of this covenant and to remain in the land. So there is a condition also given there to Abraham and to his offspring. So this morning, I know we don't have a lot of time, and I was joking with my wife that we're going to try to finish off Genesis, look at Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy this morning. Uh, Not really, but uh, we're going to try to kind of take a big overview of this covenant with Moses. And many of you know the story as it unfolds. Uh, And something really interesting, I just want to point out to you before we go on, and just back in Genesis 15, because I know I've read this many times, but for some reason, just this uh, past year even, uh, have really realized this strong connection between the promises to Abraham and the time in Egypt and the Exodus and the coming to Mount Sinai, um, God actually foretold all of that to Abraham in verse 13 of Genesis 15. I just want to point that out to you before we move on. 
He said in verse 13, uh, as God is establishing this covenant, the animals are cut and God is about to pass through. We have this kind of, uh, oh, and by the way, Abraham, uh, as God is speaking to him, he says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. I mean, there's so much... Uh, incredible uh, just truth going on there. Even the fact that God said the reason Abram will not now inherit the land is the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. That they, they still have this opportunity to, to actually repent, to, to turn from their wickedness. And, and yet God has a certain day fixed that when this day comes, if they continue in their sin and their sin is mounted up to heaven, God will dispossess them through the coming of Abraham's descendants. And so think about that, 400 years God prophesied that they would be in a foreign land, which we know as Egypt. I mean, our country, uh, Canada, has only been a federation for 156 years. And here we are given this massive span of time that God says they will be enslaved. And as we know, the story uh, certainly unfolded, as God said. Isaac is born to Abraham, the promised son of Sarah, Isaac has Jacob and Esau. Jacob, God chooses to continue through him, his covenant promises to Abram. Esau is rejected, which is even in effect, as we look at his um, godless life, he, he disobeys the clear instructions of his parents, even marrying uh, among the Canaanites. He, he is not heed the word of God. Jacob is the one through whom God chooses to continue this promise. And to Jacob is born the 12 sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Eshekar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, who has the two, which the Bible refers to as half-tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and Benjamin. So these 12 become the 12 tribes of Israel, the pillars, of, as it were, of this nation God told Abraham would come. And even for young um, kids, you remember the story, how these people would end up in Egypt. Do you remember who was sold into Egypt by his brothers? You want to help me out with the one who was sold into Egypt? Which brings people to Egypt, obviously. Who was it? Who was sold by his brothers? Yeah, I didn't imagine. Joseph. Joseph, that's right. Joseph, this son of Jacob, sold into Egypt. And yet we see God providentially by this event, not only saving the world from coming drought, but it's this event that brings Jacob and the offspring into Egypt. They are, as God said, enslaved there by the Egyptians. They multiply greatly. The Egyptians are, are feel threatened by them. And so they enslave them. And for 430 years, we find that is where Israel remains. And of course, as we talked about even already this morning, God in time raises up Moses to deliver his people. And it's interesting in uh, Exodus 6, as God comes to Moses and gives, begins to tell him of his plan to deliver his people out of Egypt, in Exodus 6, 
and verse 1, listen to the basis for God's deliverance of Israel. And you see how this directly builds upon what happened with Abraham. So Exodus 6, 1, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. God has not forgotten his covenant promises he made to Abraham. And though 400 years is a long time, I mean, I have no idea if I went back in my own family line who my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather is or what his uh, name was or anything like that. And, and, And you can just imagine the people of Israel there in this land knowing something of these promises, probably. I'm sure they still talked of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, but you could just imagine the, the doubt and the, the questions and wondering, like, is God actually going to fulfill this? Are we actually going to ever come out of this terrible situation? And God is faithful to his promises. And we're reminded time and time again as we consider God's work in history that his timetable is not our timetable. And that many times there is this need for patient endurance as we, as we continue to, to wait upon the Lord, as we see his promises coming to fruition. We must be faithful. We must trust he has not forgotten. And of course, there are parallels for us as well as we await even the second advent of Christ and the final consummation of the new heavens and new earth. Do not grow weary. Peter would also admonish the the Christians. Do not listen to the scoffers who say, where is the Lord? Where is his coming? Everything is continuing as it was. For Peter says the Lord is patient, not willing that any should perish. He is going to see that Christ received the full reward for which he died. And so we are called to patient endurance as we also await to see the fullness of God's kingdom come. So as we come to Exodus 19, then obviously this is after God has delivered the people mightily through Moses. He conquers the nation of Egypt. He destroys them as as the Israelites pass through the the sea and, and the waters come down upon the Egyptians and they are delivered. They are redeemed graciously by God and God establishes this covenant with them, which is not a covenant completely separate from that which he established with Abraham, you can see, obviously, how it builds upon the Abrahamic covenant. In fact, the blessing that Israel was seeking is still the blessing promised to Abraham to inherit the land, to receive the goodness of God. And they are still awaiting even this promised offspring that was foretold by God. So in the beginning of, 19, of Exodus 19, there are some very important Points here we must note about this covenant with Moses and with the people of Israel. We tend to think of this covenant probably as fairly rigid, as uh, even maybe oppressive. 
of, uh, of, of a sort of a, a heavy burden that is placed upon the people. But let us not forget what God is saying here, even as he establishes this covenant with his people. We're told that the Lord, uh, in speaking to him, says in verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That is at the heart of God's work in redemption. It is not just about keeping laws or keeping rules or or going through the, the various ceremonial rites. God is bringing a people to himself that we can be near to him, we can commune with him. We can, we, it, is, it is, again, this, this picture of the, the pre-fall state in many ways, echoing back to when God walked with Adam, walked with Eve in the garden without the, the, the division brought by sin. God is bringing a people to himself. And this is at the very heart of the Mosaic covenant as well. And so we have to keep that uh, in mind. This has always been the purpose of God, his gracious acts to bring a people to himself. And God refers to his intentions for this nation in verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so in a, in a world that is shrouded in the darkness of sin and evil and corruption and, and, and just one degree of, of debauchery to the next, God calls this nation. Why? He calls them to himself. He calls them that they would be holy, that they may serve as a kingdom of priests, displaying the goodness and the glory and the holiness of God to the nations around them, ultimately leading to the seed through which the nations would be blessed. So this is... Uh, Obviously set up in, a, again, this covenantal language. There are the commandments, do this and live. And we have the giving of the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words, as they would have been sometimes referenced for the Hebrew people. These Ten Words of the Covenant that God established become at the very center of what God requires of them in this covenant. And we know as we talked with the kids, we could even summarize it with a command to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as themselves. This is at the very center of what God desires of these people and what is required of them in the covenant with Moses. And in Exodus 24, similar to that with Abraham, we have... The reaffirmations of this covenant, some people, I think, get confused and think that these are different covenants being established. But this is, again, like with Abraham, we had the initial uh, laying down of the foundation of the covenant and then God expands it. He continues to define it and ratify it in blood. And so in uh, chapter 24, we have this ceremony which involves the sacrifices and the blood of the covenant being sprinkled upon the people and again this exchange of the vows and promises so uh, chapter 24 just read verse 3 following Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules and all the people answered with one voice and said all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do and Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. 
And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and he ate and drank. And this is all very mysterious to us. What exactly is going on? But we have a similar picture, just as Abraham was brought into this covenant with God, and the the promises and the conditions were given here with Moses. We have a similar uh, format in many ways. That they are given the conditions, the commands of the covenant. And then this blood of the covenant where the animals are slain. Moses throws the blood, half of it, upon the base of the altar. And he throws the other half or sprinkles it upon the people. Which is ratifying, sealing this covenant in blood. Essentially saying that if they break this covenant, their fate will be that of these animals, but it also, we know from the book of Hebrews, has the picture of sanctifying them, consecrating them in the blood of the covenant, that they are a people now set aside to God and to God alone. And as I said, there's no way we can realistically do a lot of justice to the other aspects of this covenant with Moses. I think this is foundational to it. But just really quickly, the other parts of this covenant that we, we uh, see God bring about, of course, the moral law or the Ten Commandments. Um, and then just as with Abraham, there were positive or additional laws given. For Abraham, it was circumcision. For Adam, it was do not eat of the tree. So positive laws being those laws that are not naturally known to man, uh, not naturally revealed to us as the moral law is. It is even upon our conscience, the moral law. These positive laws are things that God adds to the covenant in addition to the, uh, the moral law. And this includes the civil law, which God establishing this nation lays out for them. The, the civil law of, of uh, social justice, of, of what happens if someone steals, what happens if someone murders, what happens if someone commits adultery. God establishes them uh, as a nation and, and this covenant is meant to delegate God's authority uh, to them as a nation, to, to define it, to, uh, to give the boundaries of, of this new nation which God is establishing. So we have the moral law, we have the civil law, we also see God in this covenant establish the ceremonial law, and so God sets up the priesthood, and he gives the provision for their cleansing through the sacrificial system. And this all comes within the Mosaic Covenant. He sets up Aaron and the sons of Levi as this priestly tribe who will carry out these duties. And through their sacrifices, the people will remain in the land and they can have atonement for their sin. Uh, And this is, uh, though it seems to us a lot of rules and, and regulations to keep, it is actually a gracious provision of God enabling them to stay in the land even when they 
break his word, break his law, God gives them the provision of sacrifice to be renewed and to be cleansed. Just one more uh, summary passage from Deuteronomy. We have um, some really helpful passages that kind of help us, again, get a, a general overview of these covenants. And one of those is in Deuteronomy 30, 15. So I just want to read this one as well. And I kind of help you, hopefully, just kind of get a summary overview of, of uh, what God is establishing here with Moses and the people of Israel. So Deuteronomy 30, and I'm just going to pick up at verse 15. Um, back up to verse 11, actually, sorry. Deuteronomy 30, 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. For he is your life and the length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give them. So God establishes his people now, not just as a man and his children, but as a nation. And this covenant gives them the boundaries and the clarity to now be established as a nation as they prepare to enter the land. The way that it should have gone is they come out of Egypt. They come to the mountain of Sinai and there receive the instructions of the covenant And from there, enter immediately into the promised land. Of course, we know that they came to the edge of the promised land and they doubted God's ability to overcome the dwellers of that land. And they did not have faith. And as a result, they were driven back into the wilderness. And that generation perished in the wilderness. And it was the next generation who would actually see the fulfillment of that. But just thinking about a few uh, points as to why this covenant, other than, excuse me, what we've already mentioned, what are the purposes that God has established this covenant? Well, as, I, as we have uh, noted before, it's through covenant that God establishes kingdom. So with Adam and Noah, the kingdom of creation is defined. God is delegating his authority to man to exercise dominion over it. Now with Abraham and now Moses, and we'll see with David as well, this is God establishing a new kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and through these covenants, uh, laying out the framework for that kingdom to function. 
And so, um, in this covenant, God governs the people of Israel. We've seen that in commanding them how they are to, to, how, how they are to live, how they are to, uh, to obey God's word. Um, God establishes the guides of the priesthood. We see he establishes Aaron and the Levites. Um, God also establishes in this covenant the future king, which we've seen in 1 Samuel, even in Deuteronomy 17. God is governing the future kingship of Israel. Israel's king is not one who is the law, as in other pagan nations. The king for Israel is under the law and accountable to God. God establishes the prophets, we know. He gives the people instructions on how to identify a false prophet in Deuteronomy 13, uh, 1 to 5. The covenant essentially tells the people how to receive and live in the blessing of Abraham. And so the final purpose and question, though, of this covenant, which we will close with, is how does it help in the, pro- in the progression of unveiling the coming of Christ, the Messiah? How does this serve in God's overarching purpose of bringing forth this promised seed, the seed promised to Eve, the seed promised through Abraham's line, and how does this covenant work to help to that end? Well, the Mosaic covenant uh, relates to, obviously, physical Israel dwelling in the specific land of Canaan, and of course, its blessings and its atonements were real, But what we find is this covenant could not cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. It it held God's will to them in an external uh, sort of way, outside of them, as God's standard. But this covenant did not change the heart of the worshiper. It did not give them the ability to actually fulfill all the words of this law. And so in that sense, it is something like an x-ray. And this is how um, Paul even describes it in Romans 7, that without the law, we did not know what sin was. And it's interesting, the the man who invented the x-ray, in uh, actually 1895, he was apparently um, doing some experiments with cathode rays, which I guess are um, inside of glass tubes and and working with electrical charges, and they could create rays, and, and he had somehow accidentally... Um, created this x-ray, not created it, but discovered it. And through the x-ray, we know that, that we're able to, to look at and see when a bone is broken or to see what is underneath the flesh. And in some ways, that's a helpful picture of even this covenant. God gives it that man might be exposed, that we might see that we cannot obtain salvation through law keeping. And in that way, it prepares the way for the coming of Christ. But also uh, a quote from uh, Sam Renahine here again on how this covenant helps prepare the way for the coming of Christ. He pointed out the Mosaic covenant demonstrates God's kindness and graciousness by proving not only, uh, sorry, providing not only a way for Israel to address and redress their sins against the law, but also to teach them in all of this about true forgiveness to be found in a heavenly sacrifice administered by a heavenly high priest in a heavenly temple. And in this sacrificial system, we now begin to have the type and the the, the clarity of this office of the seed as the high priest, the one who will make atonement for his people.
And it is as though in Abraham, the mysterious offspring is defined as coming from this man, but still the shadow that is being cast backwards into history is still unclear. Its outline is, is unclear to us. And then as God establishes his covenant with Moses, the shadow of this figure in the future becomes more defined, more clear to the people. Though they do not yet see him, his shadow is being outlined by these covenants and especially by the Mosaic covenant. And so I just want to leave you with 1 Peter 2, 8 and 12. And you'll pick up some of the language here that Peter uses in connecting these two realities, the Mosaic Covenant, which leads and prepares the way for Christ. 1 Peter 2, 8, Peter says, they stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do, referring, of course, to Israel. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We see how these types and shadows of even the Mosaic Covenant point forward to a better covenant that will do that which God desired in this one, which was creating a people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation for his own possession. That as we are brought near to God, we are are covered in the blood of the covenant. We can proclaim the excellencies of God who has redeemed us and we can live out our lives in obedience to his word that God may receive the praise and the glory. And Peter even says that the Gentile nations, those outside of Christ, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so let us close there for now in prayer and give thanks to God for his faithfulness and his mercy, even in calling us to himself through Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... Lord, no, there is uh, so much material here and so many things that we just fail to understand. But Lord, I pray that those things that are clear, um, Lord, they would just find good soil within our hearts. Lord, this wonderful truth that you are a gracious God and you have called the people who are unworthy in and of themselves to, to approach you, to come near to you. Lord, you have established a covenant that we may receive the good blessings of it in Christ no longer with a law that is outside and external to us, but Lord, one that is now written upon our hearts and affirmed by your Holy Spirit. So I pray that you would help us to delight in you, Lord, and to uh, just abide richly in your word. We also, we do continue to pray even for those ethnic descendants of Abraham today that remain in their hardness and in their rebellion against you as covenant breakers. Lord, we pray that there would be repentance and faith in Christ, for we know you are certainly able to graft them back in. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek first your kingdom, Lord, and to live this out uh, in our day-to-day, in our homes, in our work. And we ask this all for Jesus' sake. Amen.
Thank you for tuning in to this sermon preached at Redeeming Grace Bible Church. If you'd like to find out more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church or find other sermons and resources, please visit us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.